Welcome one and all to Chasing Cutoffs, bringing you the trail running news and views from the back of the pack. Well, hello again, friends. Welcome back to the show. My name is Ben Mead, your hobbled host, and it's that holiday season, people. I don't know how you're doing. I'm trying to get myself into the holiday spirit a little bit. Sometimes you have to put in a little bit of effort. I'm definitely in that space this year. I hope you are doing well. I hope you are running well and feeling well, and I'm so excited to be back for another episode We have an epic interview for you today with an incredible athlete. But before we hear from our athlete this week, let's jump in to the race roundup. Well, as usual, back of the Packers are absolutely crushing it in races all over the globe. And the last few weeks have been no exception. In fact, out in Moab, Utah, Mad Moose Events put on the Dead Horse Ultra. This is a race I have had my eye on for a long time. I've always wanted to get out and run on that Moab stone. It just looks so, so cool. But Ricky Kalia of Creststone, Colorado went out and did it in the 50K and he crushed second on the glorious DFL podium. About his race, Ricky says, at the end of med school, I found myself in way worse shape than I started. Our healthcare system has a way of doing this, both physically and mentally to healthcare workers. Trail running not only helped me get in shape, but provided a framework of how I can help and inspire others. Because if I can do this, anyone can. And this year's Dead Horse Ultra 50K was one of my favorite races because I had not trained nor run at all for most of the year. Showing up at the starting line is always the hardest part. And I knew if I did that, I would figure out a way to finish the race. That's the beauty of ultras and trail running in general. You get a chance to run your race at your pace in every way imaginable. That is awesome, Ricky. Thank you for being a frontline healthcare worker. Thank you for participating in the podcast. You are incredible. And all the way on the other side of the globe, the Ultra Trail Cape Town was run in Cape Town, South Africa. This is an incredible race that traverses not only the city, but also Table Mountain National Park. And a couple of runners teamed up at the back of the pack to get this thing done. And I want to start out by giving a shout out to Mo Colpe of Cape Town, South Africa, who crushed second on the glorious DFL podium. About his race, Mo says, believe in yourself. Put one foot in front of the other and just keep moving forward. You will reach dark spots, but you will be able to get out of them too. The UTCT course is brutal, very technical, hardly any runnable sections and gale force winds causing havoc. But keeping calm and moving forward won the race. Mo, that is awesome. Congratulations on getting second. And of course, we have to give a shout out to the runner who crushed DFL. And that is none other than George Hardwick, who is a South African expat living in London. George crushed DFL in the UTCT 100 mile. About his race, George says, My expectations were low going in. Training in London hadn't gone well because of ongoing Achilles issues. Then I had COVID about five weeks out, so I couldn't do my final build-up race at Transvolcania. So there were a lot of doubts going in, but I tried to frame it in a positive way that I was fresh, definitely not overtrained, and the goal was to run with Mo who I had met on the route recce as long as possible and just to finish. For American listeners, a route recce, I think, is a course preview, just uh, getting us all up to speed here. George goes on and says, We started very easy at the back of the pack with a group of about 10, all jokingly vying for last place or sweeper. The group broke up when the wind hit on the first climb in the dark, but Mo and I stuck together through to sunrise at Hout Bay. I hadn't been able to hold food down for the last few hours, so the medic advised a lie down and take 30 minutes to reset. That seemed to do the trick, and I managed to catch Mo at Simonstown. 
We stuck together basically till the end. I had knee pain on anything up or down since Nordhook Beach on the second night, which got worse on the final section and I couldn't keep up. Mo finished 10 minutes ahead of me and cheered me in. We were proud of our finish and how we worked together. We saw a lot of DNFs around us, but that was never an option. Oh my gosh, George, that is awesome. What a great story. Congrats to you and Mo on this incredible finish at UTC. 100 and congrats to all of you out there who are just crushing it and landing on the dfo podium around the globe you are all amazing and now a word from our sponsor this week's episode of chasing cutoffs is brought to you by will i make it the new race prediction calculation app for the ultra slow will i make it strives to answer the question the back of the packers ask themselves before signing up for any race the free version allows you to manually plug in your average pace predicted finish times and course information but the magic happens with will i make it pro the pro version syncs all your performance data from strava plus course statistics from the world's most popular ultras, including distance, elevation, and course cutoffs. Pro also allows you to get granular with the data with variables like injury-adjusted pace, bloating-adjusted pace, no-sleep-adjusted pace, hangover-adjusted pace, and many, many more. So before your next race, download Will I Make It and take the guesswork out of chasing cutoffs. And now, back to the show. My next guest is a chicken farmer, curler, martial artist, and of course, ultra running badass. I am so excited to welcome Sherry Donahue to Chasing Cutoffs. Sherry, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I am stoked about it because you're, I think, maybe the first person I've had on the show that has their own documentary on YouTube, so that's really exciting. And I want to hear all about the trail runner's journey and everything that you do these days and kind of how you got there. But let's jump into the Wayback Machine, because I would love to hear about where you grew up and your family. Tell me all about it. Well, I grew up in a small town called Nipawin, Saskatchewan. So it's a small town, about 5,000. I'm a farm girl. So the closest neighbor was two miles away and I was 18 miles away from town. And I did not grow up running. Um, I grew up playing ball, fastball. And, you know, you only ran if uh, your horse got out of the fence or someone was chasing you. So, um, (laughs) so yeah, running was not a thing. (laughs) Or else you're running to you hit the ball and you run to the base but uh right. yeah that's where i grew up so tell me about the farm situation what are you farming up there in canada when i grew up on the farm we had a mixed green and poultry farm so when i saw that setting when we got our own farm my husband asked me are we gonna raise chickens and i'm like oh hell no <laughs> too much work <laughs> but when i got into the different breeds of chickens and seeing the personalities and how they are as a community, I changed my mind and I I farm some ways similar to my parents, but in a lot of ways very different from my parents. Yeah. And were they raising those chickens for sale, for food? Yes. yes. Gotcha. And did you have brothers and sisters? I have three brothers, actually, three older brothers. Um, I'm what is t- called as the afterthought. I had three brothers <laughs> later and then 16 years later, I came along. So oh, wow. There is a gap. The documentary that you watch and says memory of Don Yasko, that's my next brother. He was the athlete of the family. Mm. And unfortunately, he passed away from pancreatic cancer. And mm. so growing up, he was always in in fastball. He actually got called to the Blue Jays and he had Hodgkin's disease that was his first cancer actually took a ball career away from him. So mm-hmm. I always had him to aspire to like, he was, he was my hero. Actually. I wanted yeah. to be just like my brother Don. Yeah, I can imagine. How old was he when he passed? He was 60. Okay. So this was a long lingering issue for him. Well, actually he had Hodgkin's and he was totally cleared. He was cancer free. And then it was when he was 59, he got uh, pancreatic cancer and mm-hmm. that one took him quick. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sorry for your loss. That's really Thank hard. You. Yeah. So you grew up on a farm. <laughs> yeah. But what was the school situation like out there? Is it pretty traditional? I mean, you said you're pretty far from any neighbors. How far were you from your school? Uh, 18 and a half miles. And we were busted in every day. So 
We actually have the second biggest high school in our uh, school district. So my graduating class was, I think, 130, 130, 160 or something like that. No, it wasn't the 24 24 kids in a a classroom type thing. So we had a fairly decent high school. So through them, I was... I, like on the ball team, I really wasn't track and field or anything. No, I'm mm. built like um, I say I built like a Clydesdale horse, and yeah, I'm built <laughs> for strength, not for speed. So, so the traditional track and field I didn't do well at. Mm. And then Canada, we had the Canada Fitness Test that I hate even to this day. I never got a bronze, silver, or gold patch. It was always told, okay, yeah, well, you suck at everything, but you're never, you don't get any coaching for it. So, oh, man. Yeah, so yeah we was, have in the US, we have the, like the presidential fitness test or whatever. So it's probably pretty similar. Yeah. I think so. And so during school, I was always intellectually mm-hmm. smart. Mm-hmm. In, there are some sports that um, my classmates knew me for. If it was anything to do with a fastball, or anything that required strength. Mm. And for our international listeners beyond North America, when we say fastball, we're talking about traditional baseball, right? You mentioned the Blue Jays. We're talking about fastball, but is it with a softball-sized ball or with a baseball-sized ball? Fastball up here is also known as softball. Okay. Like in tournaments back then, it was men's fastball, women's softball because of the speed difference. Yeah. The ball is bigger. So yeah, when you think softball, not slow pitch. No, no, no. Not slow pitch. So fast pitch softball. softball. Got it. (laughs) Okay. Very cool. That's a really great team sport for sure. And did you enjoy the team element of being on a team or, or were you more focused on your individual performance? So being on a team, of course, I wanted to be on a team. And there was a lot back then. It's not really how we do as a team, but who are the stars of the team and how do we get the stars to kind of carry the team along? Interesting. And so then as you, you said, you were pretty academically strong as well. So then as you're moving out of high school, was there any thought of like, oh, I'm going to play fast pitch softball in college? Was that a thing? Or were you going to leave that behind and just pursue academics? In college? No, um... We didn't have the fastball. I played badminton. Oh, cool. So uh, that's a sport I played in college, believe it or not. And so you were officially on the team? You betcha. You went to the Kelsey Institute of Applied Arts and Sciences. That is correct. All right. And what did you study? I studied medical lab technology. Medical lab technology. What was the goal? Like, What was the career that was tied to the end of that degree? That is uh, being in a hospital and doing the testing that the doctors ordered testing. Like, you know, when you go to the doctor and the doctor orders tests, that I'm the one that does the testing. Gotcha. And re- reports the results. And so I'm assuming that you went into that field shortly after graduating. Is that true? That is very true. And actually, after I graduated, I remember the exact place in my hospital that I was at. And I just looked and went, is this all there is? So I realized that no, this wasn't the field for me. And through that time, it was just a search of what do I want. But and through that, I changed locations, I changed jobs, I worked for Canadian Blood Services testing Mm. for HIV hepatitis, and I went to transfusion medicine. And uh, like each each time, following a path of Mm -hmm. well, maybe I'll find something. And then I ended up teaching at what's called NATE or Northern Alberta Institute of Technology in both the human and veterinary fields. So it was through that, like, you know, what, what about this? What about this? What about this? And I actually left in 2009 after my brother passed away. Hmm. I left the teaching field and I, cause I got a wake up call and went, no, 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 no. I got it. How my life is doing right now. Mm-mm. No. Now you mentioned your husband. Um, Where did you meet him along this path? I met him in Edmonton. Uh, He was in the Air Force and actually just got out of the Air Force. And uh, I met him at a a dance. I used to volunteer for St. John Ambulance. And it was through a friend that I met him. My friend brought him as as a a tag along. Ah, Was it a bit of a setup? Not really. But uh, my friend wanted to introduce the two of us. Yeah. So serendipitous. Yeah, you had no idea. (laughs) Well, that's very cool. So did he continue his career in the military? 
No, actually, uh, when I met him, he just got out, and now he's um, both an electrician and instrument mechanic. So he oh, wow. got the instrument mechanic through the Air Force and tacked on an electrician, and now he's in the trades. Oh, very cool. Well, I think your story in some ways is similar to a lot of us, right? We might do sports in the elementary or high school and then we leave and, you know, some of us do badminton in college, but uh, outside of that, a lot of us never have this perception of I'm some kind of athlete once we kind of become like adults, quote unquote, and we get jobs and all that, right? It's hard to conceive of ourselves as athletes. And I know you mentioned with your brother's death and I'm going to stop teaching. This is a wake up call. Like, where does this concept come from of Sherry the athlete, Sherry, the runner. Well, there's a piece in between um, all through the time that I, that I, after I graduated college, I took up curling. Like I started curling in high school and I took up curling and I curled quite competitively. This is a very Canadian story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was, I like to say born with ball glove in one hand, curling broom in the other. Um, so I curled quite competitively and, and it ended all of a sudden it was just like, no, nah, I don't feel like doing this. And then I discovered martial arts and Kung Fu in particular. And I don't know why I got into it, but I did. I wanted to learn how to box because my brother used to box and I wanted to be like my brother. So I wanted to box and I ended up going into Kung Fu and on the weapons team. And um, I actually have a second degree brown belt. Oh my gosh. Don't mess so, with Sherry people. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, it was during that time that one of the girls on my team, she had gone through a race called Mud Hero. It's like one of the mud runs and she'd gone through Mud Hero. And she says, oh, my gosh, we should all go as a team next year. And I thought she was just an idiot for saying so. So she's on the Kung Fu team. Yeah, we're both on the what's called the elite weapons team type thing. And then she says, yeah, let's all do it. Let's all go down. Let's our weapons team all go down as a team to this mud run next year. And I was like, absolutely not. It's six kilometers. Who goes that far? Mm -hmm. like, there's no way I can go that far. Well, my couch potato husband said, oh, hey, yeah, that sounds like fun. And he signed both of us up. Oh, <laughs> I that's him. funny. <laughs> <laughs> How did it go? Uh, I didn't die, even though I was scared <laughs> spitless. I have a blog post somewhere that uh, that I wrote called Mud Chicken, because <laughs> I honestly, I honestly thought I was going to die. Um, I thought I was going to be left behind. I had also, I was terrified to do this race. Mm. So through Mud Hero, no, I didn't get left behind. I didn't die. And I realized it really didn't do that bad. And mm. during Mud Hero, I remember looking up the mountain because it's run on the side of a ski hill. And I remember looking up and I saw this older fellow and he was dressed in a white tank top and a white headband. And to be that far into the race, and he was still white. I knew he didn't go through the obstacles, but mm. it didn't matter. He was still on the course. And I looked at him and went, good for you. Good for you. Like, wow, you're doing this. That's that's awesome. And the next day we're pulling out and I looked at my husband and I said, I want to do death race. <laughs> Isn't that over a hundred K? It's 125 kilometers. And what I was looking at is I want to be on a team for death race. Okay. And he looked at me and he, he looked at me and I looked at him and he goes, what did you just say? And I says, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's hilarious. So were you responsible for bringing this team together or was there already an established team that you were able to jump into? Actually, no. Actually, the next year, I formulated a team to okay. go into death race, and we were all kung fu people, like, oh and gosh. we're not not runners per se. And uh, one of the fellows, I would said to him about death race, and he says, "Well, Mount Hamill, that's that's a goal, that's a bucket list for me. I want to do that." Once so we had two, and so anyway, we looked. Well, who else would join in this? And I happened to say to one fellow, and he's because he's tall and lean, he looks like a runner. I says, "You run, right?" And he goes. No. And I went, okay. I said, so I mentioned, yeah, we have, we're putting together a team for death race. And he turned and looked at me. He goes, excuse me. He goes, my girlfriend and I, that's on our bucket list. Oh. So here we go. Here is four people. And we managed to get the fifth. So we had a team of five of martial artists going into death race. 
And it happened to be the hottest day in a long time on that race. And we ended up finishing. So 125K, you got five people on the team. So what were your legs like? How, how did you break that up? Uh, they have designated legs. Uh, mine was leg five in the dark. Okay. So with this death race, I'm, I'm curious about like the, the format, the terrain, right? We talked about how they break it up into five legs. And is this a mountain trail race? It is. Okay, but no obstacles. No obstacles. Well, if you count that you have to cross a river in a boat, that's an obstacle. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. So would you say then that when you wrapped that and you did your leg in the dark, did you feel like, okay, I'm hooked? Like, I really like this trail running experience? Uh, Because it was 20, about 20 kilometers. And I did it and it was just like, wow, I did that. It was transformational. I did something Mm -hmm. I really didn't think I could do. Mm -hmm. And there's a coin you have to carry. And so I got the coin, was going up the hill and I was just like, oh my God, I'm in the dark. And I looked and it was a long way up. It was a long way down. And I thought, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. And then I thought of my team and went, wait a minute. Every one of them made their time. And it's all up to me because if I don't make it, they don't get their points. There's Mm -hmm. where the pressure came in. And I went, I don't know. And I started to break down. I I cried. And then I had a realization, and this was even more powerful, is that my team probably peeled it out of the parking lot. And I have to walk somewhere anyway. So I might as well walk forward. Mm -hmm. And I did. And that's uh, when when I came into town after all that, it was just like, wow, I did this. And at first, it was just a bucket list. You know, yay, I did it. Yay. And then after, all of a sudden, it was just like an insatiable thirst. I want the next race. Yeah. So how do you then go through the process of discovery? Because there's just obviously a whole world of trail and ultra running and racing throughout Canada and in North America and all over the globe. How did you find out that there were other races? And how did you start to get connected with the community? Um, what <laughs> Google, uh, have friends that, as I said, the, the friends that were in the death in death race, he had heard some other races and I just started, okay, races around Edmonton mm-hmm. and what other races are there? And I started to look and I heard a series called five peaks and they run a series of races out here. And I, the next year I just showed up and there was some, I've done road races as well too. So, oh, there's mm-hmm. a half marathon. I will go do that. Mm-hmm. Well, I've already done a little bit more than a half marathon. I'll just jump in there like, and go that direction. So a lot was searching, searching. And then when I got involved there is this other people, like other people know other things. And that's where I found a lot of stuff out. Yeah. One interesting thing to me is that your first half marathon on the road experience came after the death race. Mm-hmm. Lots of people start on the road and then eventually discover the trails. How did you feel about that first half marathon on the road? It's a very different experience running that long on a flat surface with the same sort of cadence and just pounding on the pavement. I just went, okay, this is it. I can tell you what really was a difference when I had my first marathon. Mm. And I had my first marathon. It was also a downhill marathon. And I was more beat up after that than what I was after doing 125K. (laughs) It's a different beast. It really is. And especially the marathon, you feel the difference in that beast because marathon people go, oh, well, it's 50K. 50K is not that bad, but it's easier running a 50K. Bam. Well, speaking of May of 2015, you jumped into the Blackfoot Ultra and you ran your first ultra. You ran a 50K. That is crazy cool. Congratulations on that finish. I believe that uh, you landed third on the glorious DFL podium, as we call it around here. So congrats on that. And uh, I'm very curious about your first ultra experience. Tell me how that came together for you and how, how was that race experience? Well, when I did my the death race, the first one, I power walked. And at death race, I saw this fellow, his death race icon called Dag, Dag Agaby. And I watched how he run and it was like a trot. And I'm thinking, I could do that. Because mm. my whole thing of thinking about running, it's like the like track and field. You run as hard as you can. Right, right, right. Yeah. I saw he was just trotting along. And I, thought, I could do that. And so in January, okay, I'll just trot to the tree or I'll run downhill. And in the Blackfoot Ultra, that was the race that, that I did. My first running race was the 50K. 
Yeah, that's really cool. And I love that idea too, because I think for so many people, especially if you're new, you're listening to this podcast, you've never really done trail running, you're just kind of curious or discovering it. The beautiful thing about it is, is that if you just kind of focus on what is the most efficient way that I can move from point A to point B, that might be a hike, that might be a little ultra shuffle trot, that might be walking, that might be a little bit of downhill running, right? It's that constant mixture and decision making of just like, I don't want to kill myself, (laughs) I don't want to fall, but I also want to just do this as efficiently as possible to get from point A to point B so that I can actually finish this race ahead of the cutoff, which is always, always the biggest challenge. And that is really, really cool. But you were not done. I mean, even just later that year, September of that year, you took on your first 50 miler. That is huge. A lot of people run 50Ks and they never go past that. Why did you want more in terms of the distance? I, I looked at that. Yeah, I already did this distance. Can I do the next distance? I didn't mm. say it was actually too bright at this point. But it's just, it was more ego than anything. And it's just like, oh, I did 50K and I've got no concept of distance. I've, I've got spatial recognition, not distance recognition until I've done that distance. Mm. Yes, I did attempt that first 50 mile and that was my first DNF. River's Edge Ultra, September 2015. Probably, you know, you didn't have a ton of time, really, honestly, between Blackfoot and this race. And what was that like for you mentally, emotionally, in terms of being able to process how that went? I mean, it was a 50-mile race. How far did you get in there? I got just about 50K because it was less than five kilometers out, I think around the 4K mark. um, My lug went and caught a tree root and I landed hard on my left knee. Mm. And so I had a huge, huge bruise on the size of a football Mm. and it was sore and there was like running was just not an option. And I was just power walking through it and kept on and I just went as far as I could and I called it and I felt horrible. Mm. I I felt like such a failure. I just felt everyone was looking at me as if I was a failure. I wish the world would have swallowed me up because Mm -hmm. I just felt awful, awful, awful. It was anything that could go wrong that race went wrong. Well, as someone who has been pulled from a race myself, because I didn't make the cutoff and I had to take the ride of shame with the aid station volunteers all the way back to the start line, <laughs> I know how that feels. It is not pleasant. So in the ensuing days and weeks and months afterward, how did you get past that? I have a really good a really good coaching friend. We sister coach each other. And I was just still in the saw bus type thing. And she very patiently listened to me. And she also put it very straightly. She says, you're not giving yourself credit. Mm. You're not giving yourself credit for what you did do. You are actually not recognizing, basically crapping on the stuff that you did do and not recognizing just how, how incredible it was. Like she says, People don't run a marathon distance on a very bruised knee. Right. You are actually in the top of the pyramid when it comes to like fitness and how many people do that. Mm -hmm. And you're not giving yourself credit. Mm -hmm. You're one of the very few people that would even dare to take that challenge on in the first place. Very true. Well, let's give your sister coach a shout out. What is her name? (laughs) Her name is Elfie Thorne. Awesome. I love it. So she convinced you that this was worth pursuing. I assume you didn't have any long-term damage to the knee after it got healed up. No, I didn't. Um, another friend, saw, she saw the picture and she goes, I want to help you. And she helped me recover through the knee. And actually, I, I went on a another, I was on a, a team for Iron Horse Ultra. We were on 100K and I was on the final leg coming in. And she goes, you can't run that race. And I went, I have to. And what happened at that time is I found out that my mom was in the final stage as she was going to pass. Mm. And she's like, her, she wasn't breathing very well before I went. And I says, I got to go. And she goes, no, I, I get, I get it. She says, you've got to go in that race. And so I went through that race and it's in the first part of October and there was a geese flying up overhead and it was the sunset was really beautiful, really pretty. Just during that race, I just really, really came to grips. Like, I really love this. I'm doing this for me. Mm. This is something I love to do. And uh, when we got home, my mom passed the next day. Mm. So it was a lot of ways. It was closure. I got to 
it was just that time for me being like, you know, being uh, the back of the pack, you spend a lot of time alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in that whole aloneness, you're I'm really not alone because like, you know, the old saying, if you want to talk to God, run an ultra. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. That's pretty powerful. That's really crazy. So I'm so glad to hear that you were able to do the race and get home prior to her passing. I did. Yeah. The very next year, <laughs> May of 2016, you went back to the Blackfoot Ultra and you took that 50K on again. And you did better that time. I mean, you were solidly in the back of the pack, but you uh, you did not finish on the glorious DFL podium. And I'm curious, you know, between that Blackfoot and then in September, you went and did Lost Soul Ultra. You got now you've got a couple more 50Ks under your belt. You're like for real now an ultra runner. Like, is there any kind of shift mentally or emotionally for you as you're heading into the end of 2016 where you're like, okay, this isn't just the new thing. This is my thing. The biggest shift for me, um, it was I want to get faster. Yes, I'm in the back of the pack and I really want to get faster. Yes, I can blow out a a fast pace, but to that tree. Mm -hmm. And I am also a sponge when it comes to information. So I'm reading everything I can and how do I train? How do I get better? And when a lot of it is targeted more to the front of the pack. Right. And how does it apply to me? How do I feel? How do I? There's a lot of unknowns. And the biggest shift for me was accepting that I'm the wrong back of the packer. Mm -hmm. Does it mean I will never podium? No, that's not true. But the shift was how do I train and how do I do this based on my, I'm going to say my body type Mm. as well as, so I go not injured because I've seen injuries and it's like, there's got to be a way I can train. I can do this without being injured, without taking huge amounts of time to recover. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a great point because we only know what we are exposed to. And when the publications or the training tips or the training plans that you download online or even some of the coaching that we get is around speed work and getting faster all the time. I love that you came to that realization and that ownership and that acceptance of like, look, I'm solid where I'm at. I need to learn how to do this where I don't get injured and where I can beat the cutoffs, but that's good enough. That's where I want to be. And I love that. Thank you. I want to ask you about Another setback, another 50-mile attempt in September of 2016, you went back to River's Edge. I did. What happened? I actually got, I was one loop short of getting that 50-miler. And with River's Edge, everything went pretty good the whole time. And I come on off Lake 4. And I was totally happy with what I, I've gone the farthest I've done on this course. I, you know, this is great, wonderful. And hadn't fallen, didn't bust your knee, still in good shape. No, I was doing good. And the girl that crewed me, she says, you're, you're with a cutoff. You can go. I says, I'm not going out. I says, I'm really good at where I am. Like, I'm good here. Because you told me, I said, well, I changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, how far have you gone? And I looked and it was 56 kilometers. And she says, you know what? Why don't you just go out to get 60? Mm. Why don't you just go out to get 60? Well, here's the thing about me. I can't stand not having a round number on my watch. <laughs> and so, of course, oh, yeah, game on then. And what it is, you cross the river, you go around the island and to pick up a page in the book. And it was the, from Marathon Man. So you pick up your page, come back, and then you cross the river again to come back in. And with it dark, river flowing, and it's like, no, this is this gets to be like a safety issue here. And I was mm. like, no, I'm done. I'm good. I'm really good. It was 1030 at night, and I went, I'm good. I don't have to go out again. And I was actually quite happy with how I did. Like I look at it as a just about. I had one loop left. Yeah. With the one loop only remaining, this was still your longest run at that point. How many miles did you do? 38. Yeah, I have to remember you're in US. That's all miles. I think it was 38 (laughs) miles or something. You can use the Ks. That's fine. (laughs) About 65K into an 80K race. All right. So still a milestone, even though it was your second DNF. Mm -hmm. 
And you didn't let that stop you. We went right back out to Blackfoot the next year, and you got DFL, which is amazing. Congratulations for finishing DFL at the at the next year's 50K. But what I want to talk about in 2017 is that you decided it was time to venture out, and you left Canada. You came to the States. Tell the listeners where you went. I went to the Havelina 100. Very cool. Well, and it ended up that the year before, the girl who had crewed me up Blackfoot Ultra, she asked me if I would crew her in Phoenix mm. for the Havelina 100. And it's, a, it's around Halloween. And I'm not a hate person. I'm from the prairies. Like We have cold mm-hmm, out here. Mm-hmm. And when I got there recruiting, I t- just stepped on the course. And right away, I just went, I got to run this race. And did your friend do the 100 miler or the 100K? She did 100 miler. She very placed cool. in the top 10. Wow. Very cool. So you got a little taste and you were like, I have to do this. I did. Yeah, absolutely. I just went, I got to come back next year and, and do this. Well, I think you made a smart decision in choosing to do the 100K based on your previous experiences. That 2017 year, was it the co- a cold year, a rainy year, a normal year, a hot year? Tell me about that experience. I was a normal year, like, you know, for the desert, like the heat was there. And then at night, it cooled off a bit. It was actually a really good year. And yeah, when I crossed the finish line with after that 100K, I broke down crying. I guess it was just like I, it was, wow, I did it. Well, it's a huge accomplishment. Did you wear a costume? <laughs> no, I didn't. But I brought in the Canadian flag. <laughs> very cool. Well, that is a huge accomplishment. Of course, you finished very solidly at the back of the pack. You got your three loops done. I just love that you got that victory at the end. That is so cool. I totally get why you would break down crying. How did you feel? I was, it's an emotional, like it really is an emotional moment. And another friend of mine, he did his hundred mile and he was in the medic tent and uh, we both showed each other buckles and we congratulated each other because we, we traveled down and stuff. And it was, it was like, wow. And it was a feeling that I could, you know what? The hundred miles in me. Mm, I can do this. I can do this. Mm -hmm. I did want to ask you about 2018 and you did a 24 hour race and that was, I think your first timed event. I was just curious uh, what you thought of that, that Canada goose ultra. How many miles did you get done in that 24 hours? I did, I think 88 kilometers. Okay. Yeah. That was the first year I have a coach because up until this time, it was all by intuition. It was all by a friend helping me type thing, but now I've got a coach. It was my first time event. I I really liked it. And at the legislature grounds during the day, the Sikhs had a celebration. Hmm. They were dressed in their traditional or their ceremonial dress. Mm -hmm. And it was really kind of cool just to see the colors. And it was actually quite, quite cool. And it was funny when it got night because everyone's in a world of hurt and we all kind of glom together. So there was packs of people Mm. going along and I did not go to 24 hours. I will admit Mm. I went for 88 K and I'm like, okay, I've had it. And what was interesting is my coach looked at it and I says from coach's eyes, uh, can you give me some guidance and stuff? And I always, I I thought, well, he's going to tell me how my pace was or anything and, and email back to me. Uh, he said, too much time at eight stations. Oh, interesting. And bingo. I just went, okay, we're going to fix that one. <laughs> <laughs> and who is your coach? Jacob Pusey from uh, Peak Run Performance. And if you've heard of Tommy Pusey, that's his brother. Very cool. Shout out Jacob Pusey. Nice. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're still working with him. That's very cool. So I would assume then that you worked quite closely in your preparation for the big dance in October of 2018, when you went back to Havelina to take on the 100 mile. Before you tell me about that race, tell me about your prep and prepping with a coach to run this 100 mile race. You'd been out there twice before, once to crew, once to finish the 100K. You've got a lot of experience under your belt. Now you've got a coach. What was that training sort of period like for you? And was it any different than, than before? Yes. And the one thing that I did was I trusted the coach mm. and I didn't question him. And I just followed everything because when I did before, it was like, oh, run this as fast as I can or run farther. And now I was in a structure of 
of how to do my workouts. Mm -hmm. And I also added in strength training and, and flexibility. And the long run, it wasn't go until I'm done. It was, okay, I have my guidelines and also to train my gut as well too. How am I going to fuel myself? Yeah. Both electrolyte as well as food as well too. And we got an iron out of, okay, um, what am I going to wear? Like as in clothing and stuff and the gear. I just threw my trust into Jacob. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, like, because I am built for strength, not necessary for speed, he understands that. And he worked with me and he trains me. I will say this. He trains me by time and effort versus pace and distance. Mm, that's great. And that was a real wake up. And that was just like, because it's both methods work, but I firmly believe that doing this by time and effort is better, especially for the back of the pack. That's awesome. Did you take crew? Did your husband come with you down to Arizona for Havelina in October of 2018? No, he didn't come down. Um, I did have crew. I had a, a friend of mine crew me as well as Jody, who filmed me as well too. He was film pacer and part crew <laughs> and his learning from that is do one. <laughs> yeah. So Jody is the documentary filmmaker who made your film, which is on YouTube. Yes. And this article has been written about you. So no pressure here, right? You know, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so five loops to get this hundred miler done. Tell me about how that unfolded for you. Well, first off, I did the first loop and it was half an hour faster than the previous year in the 100K. I knew it was mm. going to be a good day. So that was a good sign to you. That was a good sign. And we had everything down to a science, especially on course, aid station. That was like in, out, away I go. And the only time I allowed a greater time was when I came into headquarters. Mm -hmm. Then that was a shoe change. That was, I gave my crew my pack. They packed it for me. I put it back on. I was out. Mm -hmm. So the girl that crewed me also was a runner. So she kept everything quite lean mm -hmm. for time because I face it, there's a lot of time that could be soaked up. And mm -hmm. if you're looking at, you say, for example, 15 minutes, 15 minutes times four loops, there's an hour. Right. That's a lot. So yeah. uh, when I got my hundred K, I realized I was an hour and 45 minutes faster for my hundred K than what I was the previous year. See, if I saw that, I would feel scared. I would feel like, whoa, I'm going way too fast. I'm going to blow up. That would be my first thought. What were you thinking when you saw that? Hallelujah. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're not chasing cutoffs at this point, right? Well, right there sealed it for me, especially how powerful a coach is. Mm. That's what really sealed it. And so after I came in off my third loop, but Jody came in, he says, okay, here's the reality. He says, in order to make that cutoff to get to, to go onto the final loop, you have to do this loop in four hours. I says, well, that's not going to happen. And we're going back out because I'm going to see how far I can get. And we went back out knowing that I probably wasn't going to make that, that cutoff to go on my final loop, mm. but I wanted to get that fourth loop. And how did you fare on the fourth loop? Obviously, you had to finish it, right, to get back to your tent. <laughs> that was an emotional roller coaster. Like, I, I went anywhere from, I could do this. Yeah, I've got it to get me off this course mm. now. And there was a girl from Edmonton here on loop three. She had waited at Jackass Junction for me and to finish loop three with me because she wanted to come out with me on loop four because she knew that I was going to go out in loop four and I was not going to stop until I had to stop. Mm -hmm. Loop four had one of the best moments of my life on it. And it was going through the desert is really beautiful at night. It's, it's peaceful, but the sunrise mm -hmm. was the most incredible moment of my life. And it's not only what, what you see, it's what you hear. And in that moment of sunrise, in the dark, you hear all the crickets, the crickets and the coyotes howling. And then in the moment of sunrise, it's a crescendo from the crickets to the birds with the colors of the sky. And it was just, it was beautiful. It was like, it was a really great moment. And when I came in to hand in my band, the girl turned around and gave me my buckle. <laughs> 
Oh. And I said, I can't take this. And I says, no, I can't. I had one more loop to go. Oh, I see. She was And she goes, oh, I'm really sorry. And I says, no, that's okay. I just, no, I can't mm. take it. So when I handed my band into Jubilee and I says, you know, because I only did four loops. And she goes, no, you stop that right there. You did four flipping hard loops. You'll be proud of yourself. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you, Jubilee. <laughs> What's so surprising to me about this story is you were so much faster than in your 100K, but you were still chasing cutoffs and you actually got cut off. Yeah, it was, I wasn't far. It was close. Because you had four hours, right? So once that four hours transpired, you weren't too far from actually getting back in. I was a little longer. And it's just like when I went on the loop, I just res- uh, kind of resign myself to going, okay, let's just do this. Mm-hmm. Let's just get this one done because finishing that one means that I will have gone 128 kilometers farther than I've ever gone before. 75 miles. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, I will just say that that is an epic DNF and congratulations on an epic DNF story. And what better way to have a DNF than to have like one of these most magical moments of all time with that sunrise. It sounds incredible. It, it was incredible. And I gave a talk at Trail Sisters. And one of the questions was, how, like, a failure. And I says, okay, I says, what we do is we look at such a minuscule part of the race. We look at crossing, crossing that finish line. Yay, I'm a success. If I don't cross the finish line, I'm a failure. Mm. And I bring back that race and I says, okay, I look at the successes I had along the way. And I had my first loop was half an hour faster. My 100K was an hour and 45 minutes faster. I had an incredible sunrise. And I says, the only part I failed at was crossing the finish line. Mm -hmm. And I said, like, I focus on what I did versus what I didn't do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that perspective, which really goes back to your early DNFs, right? And your first sister coach. This is very similar to what she told you, right? Focusing on what you actually accomplished versus what you didn't accomplish. I love that. That has persisted. Mm-hmm. Well, no conversation about a running journey is going to be complete, unfortunately, if we don't talk about the impact of the pandemic and how that impacted you. Because you've had this consistent goal of reaching this 100-mile milestone. You are getting further and further and further and closer and closer to your goal. And then the pandemic happens. And I don't see any other race results for you after 2019. So I'm curious, what is going on with you with the racing? And how did the pandemic impact your goal? Well, in Canada here, all the racing shut down. I did a marathon in my driveway (laughs) uh, last December. So a lot of it was virtual. Mm -hmm. And so now this year is the first year we're back up and functioning. Like last year, there were a few races that were starting back up with the restrictions and stuff that we had. I just went, you know what? I'm not going to enter a race until this stuff has ironed itself out. And it's not going to get canceled and I'm not going to get my hopes up and I'm not going to get sick and I'm not going to make somebody else sick and all that stuff. Yes. And I was supposed to be in uh, Cedar Ultra in uh, Nanaimo in June and the race director was really nice and rolled over, rolled over. And I just went, no, I, I've got to pull out because of traveling there and it was just a mess yeah. and I did virtuals mm-hmm. like as I said I did a, a marathon in my driveway and when I say my driveway I have a 200 meter driveway so it's like a track oh, so wow. I did a lot of training on my track and I um, for, like for a while during the pandemic where I usually do a lot of long run training at Chicago that was closed they closed a lot of areas mm-hmm. so I'm lucky that I live in a country that I can still run yeah absolutely Did that whole experience of not being able to race and doing virtual events, did that change your goal? Is 100 miles still the goal or have you kind of shifted that? 100 miles is still the goal. Um, I've done healing along the way and I've also looked and went, okay, what's my running form? Mm. Because I'll be truthful, um, menopause changes things. And that's a conversation a lot of, that's not out there is what happens after menopause and letting all the the, the hormonal things straighten around. Because during that, you're bounced around like a basketball. Mm. So now I'm looking at my running form and almost kind of like a, a restart, a reset. 
So there actually is a race result for the crazy muley. I did 25 kilometers in the sand hills in Egerton, Alberta. I did that one in, um, in June. Mm. It was so good to get out to a race again. Yeah. It was just, it felt yeah. really good. Yeah, for sure. And now I'm looking okay because my husband's schedule is unpredictable. It's like signing up for a race. I don't want to sign up and realize I can't go. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking, no, I'm going to do a half marathon at Chikaku. I'm going to do a marathon and let's just this year, let's do it as a more of a rebuild mm-hmm. than anything. Yeah. Not only are you rebuilding yourself, but you're building your business, your coaching business. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, obviously as a male, I'm never going to experience pre or post menopause, but do you think that that's something that you'll focus on in terms of your client base and how you coach to push through that or get through that? With my run coaching, the one thing I'm going to be least focused on is a training plan. Because when people think a run coach, oh, I'm going to get a training plan. Well, my focus is back of the pack. And for a very beginner runner, I would give advice of, okay, this is how we start off safely. Mm-hmm. Anything to get into like what I do and stuff, I would refer to my coach mm-hmm. because he does those very well. Yeah. My thing as a coach is to focus on everything else. It's to focus on the nutrition and hydration and focus on the mental stuff. Cause when it comes from mental stamina and grit, I've got it in spades, focus on the gear, how to prep for a race, all the stuff that it's kind of in the, the ether land until you realize, Oh geez, I got to the race and I forgot this, this, and this. Yeah. Yeah. How do I prepare for the race? What do I need to know for the race? That's a type of coaching. And as far as the, the menopause, yeah, I've got experience with it. Not where's the other experience with that and how can you get through that? How can you survive? Absolutely. That is something I would definitely take on. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I have two more questions for you outside of running. Do you have any other passions that you just absolutely love to do? Chickens. It's all about the chickens, people. (laughs) Do you have, I know, I, you know, I don't know if it's like kids and you don't want to like pick your favorite or anything, but do you have a favorite chicken? I do. And what is that chicken's name? He is my first rooster and I still have him. He's about nine years old and his name is Motley. Motley. Shout out Motley the rooster. All right. (laughs) Are there any nonprofits or organizations that you are passionate about? Yes. I am definitely involved with Five Peaks Trail Running. Tell me about Five Peaks. What do they do? Five Peaks is a trail running series and it's a lot of it's very family based. There's a, a mix of people that go there. There's the elite runners that go there as well, too, yeah. as well as the very beginners. There's a whole range. And I used to be volunteer coordinator. Okay. I was at for a few years. And last year I changed positions. We invented a position for me mm-hmm. and I lead out the hikers and walkers. Oh, cool. Very cool. And I stay with the one who is right at the back of the pack, (laughs) who is going to be the last. I am with that person. And I basically, if they need help coaching or anything, I'm there for them. And that's, that's what I do. That's awesome. That's really cool. Thank you for doing that. That's important work. Well, let's jump into fast twitch, slow twitch. This is the Chasing Cutoffs lightning round. I'm going to ask you several questions in a row. So, number one, would you rather come in first in a 50K or DFL in a 100 miler? Oh, boy. You know what? DFL in a 100 miler. <laughs> it's tempting, though, isn't it? <laughs> it's tempting because, you know what? I've never come in person at 50K. I want to feel what that's like. Either answer is fine. <laughs> <laughs> dogs or cats? Oh, dogs. Do you have dogs? I do. I have a big dog. He's a Bernese Shepherd Cross. Nice. What's his name? Harley. All right. Very cool. Sweet or salty? Salty. What is your go-to salty snack on the trail? Ripple chips. What the heck is ripple chips? Ruffle chips. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, they're ripple. Yeah, ruffle chips. Costco ruffle chips. Yeah. Oh, I love those. Those are so good. Yeah. What is your trailhead access vehicle? What are you driving? Oh, I drive a Toyota Tundra. Nice. Toyota Tundra. Rock and roll. I have a Toyota 4Runner, so we're, we're cousins. <laughs> Outside of running, are you a naturally competitive person? Yep. 
I had a feeling that if I faced up to you to spar in a little kung fu, that you might have a bit of fire in your eyes. <laughs> Koros, Garmin, Sunto, or other? I've had a few of those other ones, and it's Koros. Oh, nice. Yeah, I love my Koros. Are you able to do trail math in your head in the middle of a race? Yes. I had a feeling, right? We got a scientist on our hands here. She can, she can do the math. What is your worst injury ever? Worst injury ever. Oh, separated shoulder. Oh, did you do that running? No, um, that was actually Kung Fu. I was being thrown and I stopped mid-rotation and fell right on my AC joint. Oh, ouch. That sounds really painful. I hate to laugh, but just visualizing it is just really cool. <laughs> it was cool. Actually, my, the, the black belt, he's, he was looking at me like, what's wrong with you? And then I'm lying there and I'm not getting up. And uh... Oh, man. That's crazy. <laughs> what is your toughest finish ever? Oh, boy. It, what, what came to me was Blackfoot Ultra, the year it rained. So you've done that thing three times. You yeah. were in 2015. You did it again in 2016. You were DFL in 2017. It rained. And with Blackfoot Ultra, it's like a lot of little hills and mm. beaver ponds. And it could get monotonous. And the year it rained, it was mud. When that course is muddy, it's muddy. When things are getting really tough out on the trail, do you have a mantra or self-talk that you say to yourself? Well, when I sweep the Trans-Alperks five-day stage race, I had a moment on the Lindmark Trail and I just lost it. I was, I was a mess and I felt not good enough. I felt horrible. I thought I was going to be fired as a sweep. I was just like, let's just, yeah. let's just back the old gravel truck up and just <laughs> let it go. What got me through is I started to focus on, I slowed myself right down and I just focused on the next tree, the next rock, the next whatever. I was by myself. We had no, no radio contact because there was no, no service. Mm. And I was alone in Grizz country. And I ended up kept catching up to the, the last runner. Very cool. So you were the sweeper and uh, did you get to get the chance to encourage them? Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely. That's awesome. Do you have a dream destination or race that you really want to go to? Oh, I know I want to go back to Phoenix again. Um, mm -hmm. I do want to do something like the hot-footed hamster. It's I really taken a liking to the 24-hour races. Yeah. Well, shout out Aravipa. They do a great yes. job. I can attest that they, they put on a great race for sure. What is your craziest animal encounter? Other than my roosters wanting to take a round out of me. Um, <laughs> well, you mentioned grizz country. I hope you never <laughs> ran into a grizzly bear. No, no, I haven't. I have uh, run into five beavers on the trail. Oh, cool. That's fun. Deer, absolutely. Um, moose. I have had encounters with moose. Now, that's not exactly safe. The first one was a moose was walking across the trail in front of me, and it's eerie. It's pretty scary. And the other one was I come around the corner, it was a cow and a calf pair, and they were on the trail, and I just stopped dead. Yeah. And they just looked at me and just walked off. Oh, wow. Because people don't realize moose are huge. They're huge and quick. Yeah, crazy. Would you rather crew, pace, or volunteer at an aid station? Because mm. I've done all at an aid station. You know, I, I like the crewing. Mm. And I've done mm. all three. Like, it's. Yeah. You like that one on one being there for somebody. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Well, what is easier for you to manage on race day? Is it a fall, which I know you've done, or GI distress? I honestly have never had GI distress. Oh, knock on wood. Good for you. <laughs> and yeah, I've done the falls. Yeah, I've had falls. And yeah, gingins are my favorite and I don't go anywhere without my gingins. Yeah, that tried and true. Last question. With all of the new investment, growth, attention, explosive mergers and acquisitions, 
What impact do you think all of this growth is going to have on the back of the pack? I think there's going to be a bigger back of the pack Mm. because when you look at it, it doesn't matter what level, there's always a back of the pack. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even in the Olympics, you look at there's one, two, three, oh, and the rest of the guys. Right. (laughs) Even though those rest of the guys could blow the doors off any one of us, there's always going to be that. And the impact on the back of the pack, there's a lot more people. And I think the back of the pack is going to grow. Yeah, I like that. I like that. It, we got to unify, stick together. I would think for the back of the pack is because there's, there'd be more of us is don't forget about these guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Shout it from the rooftop, Sherry. Don't forget about <laughs> us. How can people find you if they want to keep following your journey? SherryDonahue.com. She's got her own website, people. I do. <laughs> And, of course, there is links there to that YouTube documentary that we talked about. And I definitely recommend everybody check it out because Sherry is amazing. Um, I am just very, very grateful that you chose to spend some time with us. And I'm so happy that you came on the show. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. And this this is awesome. Thank you, Sherry, and thank you, listener, for listening. I'm so encouraged by the community of Back of the Packers that we are fostering and continuing to create, both on Instagram, where you can find us at Chasing Cutoffs, on Facebook, you can find us at Chasing Cutoffs Podcast, and we have a Strava Club if you want to go over there and get in the mix and see who can be the slowest in town or around the globe. That is super fun as well, and it's just been awesome. Wherever you are in your cutoff chasing back of the pack journey, from myself, producer Daisy, and all of us at Chasing Cutoffs, keep crushing the miles and let's flip the script on slow.